Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Jared the Permi Guy. This episode will be released April 7th, 2023. Uh, still haven't changed the episode naming convention, so I don't know what episode number it is. But this week, I am joined by a buddy from Childerberg, Dennis. If he chooses to go by Dennis, if not, I will bleep that. Uh, it doesn't we're... bother me. Okay. I've been on Mike's <laughs> podcast as Dennis. That is true. That is true. But we're talking about Bitcoin today. Um, kind of a Bitcoin for beginners, Bitcoin for noobs type of episode. Cody and I did something like this about a year ago, uh, but that was two of us who have a reasonable amount of experience with Bitcoin discussing at the time. Um, I feel like I've gotten a lot more experience in the past year, especially, uh, and it felt like it'd be beneficial to discuss it with somebody who's newer. Um, so Dennis and I have been kicking around the idea for like over a month now. And finally yesterday, Dennis was like, Hey, I'm available tomorrow. Let's just fucking do it. And I was like, cool. Throwing together notes now. Yep. And I've had my own notes prepared since we kind of had the idea just while I was sitting at work while thinking, just wrote down some stuff, you know, nothing. Yeah. Nothing too complex. I don't think. Yeah, no, it was, it's definitely good questions to ask. Uh, and I'm glad that we started off uh, creating notes separately because uh, we we both kind of covered some different areas and filled in each other's gaps, I feel like. So that was that was a good move. But uh, is there any introductions you would like to make aside from Childerberg shenanigans? Just leave it at that. Uh, I mean, you can find me over at Twitter at Voodoo Boomstick. Um, I don't really do anything. I tend to stay away from arguments or anything like that. I'll toss <laughs> in a, an opinion or two and then just let the people fucking writhe in anger. There you go. That, I don't okay. really do anything. I just I hang out and I just make friends. You know, it's a great community over there. And I'm, I'm on Instagram, but I just mainly shit post on my story. As you're <laughs> well aware. <laughs> yes, yes. Schizo posts abound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do love seeing that on different people's Instagram stories. Just the the wide variety of things it makes me feel better. That mine is very similar. It's like three cats, a rabbit, destroy the government, another cat. Yeah, I try to sprinkle in some some more wholesome memes every now and then, or at least yeah. you know less schizo memes. Yes, I, I feel like it, you got to sprinkle it in there every now and then just to make sure people. It's it's like a, a indirect sanity check. Yep. Uh, so um, I guess starting points. When did you get interested in learning more about Bitcoin and what? attracted you to bitcoin in the first place um well probably just getting into this community in general i mean as you know that bitcoin's a pretty prominent thing in the anarchist slash libertarian movement and just having that diversification of what's in in my 
um, I guess you could say wallet, even though it's not really a wallet. It, I mean, because um, I mean, I like to have precious metals, Bitcoin, um, USD, because you can't live in this world without it for the most part, as of right now. We'll see how yeah. that changes in the coming years. No, I think that's smart. Um, and and diverse. I think that you've used diversification in a, a smart manner there. Typically, you know, Jack Spiro talks about this all the time. People will diversify between a hundred different U.S. stocks that are all reliant on Fed monetary policy. It's like, but I don't think you have quite the diversification that you feel like you've got there. Yeah, you're still using just USD. That's not diversifying shit. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's cool. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely still a place for all three, especially right now. Um, oh yeah. You know the the boomers will always talk about what happens when the grid goes down, and there are ways of managing that, and also, you know, the it kind of feels like a cop out, but also an, an answer. Like when money dies, money's not your biggest problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is the least of your of your worries. Whenever the money is no longer relevant, you're right. trying to not to starve to death or get shot or you know any of the other possibilities of dying. Right. This is why we prep. This is why it's part of a holistic approach. Cody, uh, I guess I could say it on my former uh, co-host here because I haven't heard from him in a long time. Uh, always said, if your pantry's empty, why are you buying Bitcoin? Right. Yeah. Yep, and that's just good advice. Like, savings comes after you're prepared for the immediate disaster. You know, store up food, guns, ammo, medical supplies, training, etc. You can start building up savings during that time, but until you've got a reasonably comfortable, you know, we'll never. Any of us that have been prepping for any amount of time never feel like we've got enough. But once you've got enough for uh, a period of time that you're comfortable with then the focus can shift to like wealth preservation basically at that point yeah 100 percent. beautiful um so to start off with we i had thrown out just what even is bitcoin and i put together a bunch of tiny thoughts um so i'll rattle through a few and see if you have any feedback and then we'll keep going from there if that's cool Sounds good to me. Cool. All right. So what even is Bitcoin? Starting with some simple answers that are going to introduce all sorts of vocabulary that we can later explain. Um, But this is basically just pulling different pieces from the Bitcoin white paper um, and Bitcoin.org. So one, peer-to-peer digital cash, which is about as generic as it could be. Um, Censorship resistant transaction network. Global Decentralized Consensus Network, Cryptographically Verified Signatures and Payments, Nodes Control the Network Consensus, Miners Confirm that All Transactions Follow the Rules that the Network, i.e. Nodes, have Agreed to. Yeah, How does I mean, that feel like so that, far? Like it's like that's as, a pretty good like range of, of complexity of what Bitcoin is. Yes. So, Bitcoin is... A, attempting to be base money outside of state control. That, yeah. That's basically the uh, 
the aim of the project since its inception with that entails obviously the need to connect users of this uh cash network basically because if you were to develop some sort of trying to think of like you you come you you come up on some very rare exotic mineral that you know for certain there's only so much of in the world you've got a small bit of it you know that it takes a lot of work to get to it etc you have to do a lot of work in convincing anybody else that you're not just a lunatic this yeah i mean basically what same, bitcoin's aiming to do <laughs> yeah well, and it's the same concept of is any um precious metal backed currency is that it has a finite amount and that is what creates the worth of the bitcoin is is the fact that it's not an infinite supply it has a finite amount that it can have and correct yeah the the fixed supply is one of the major um just ground stones for the bitcoin project economists keynesian economists namely for over a century now have made their best attempts as they're paid by uh, different government agencies to convince everybody that government money printing is completely necessary for the economy to continue on. Because if there wasn't more money in supply each year, prices would end up going through the roof because of the fixed supply. But this, this is completely, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense when given a little bit of thought because there's no reason that a million dollars and a trillion dollars couldn't serve the same purpose. Everybody's going to adjust based on the fact of the supply that's in circulation. We've seen over the past three years, the way that prices have skyrocketed with all of the money printing that's gone on and government's done its very best job to try to defer blame on everybody, but themselves who have flooded the market with dollars while also cutting off the supply of nearly everything. It, it's just like, it should be economics 101, but it, a lot of people have been educated out of that simple understanding. Yeah. And you see that in a lot of just things in general that you're like, this should be common sense, but the normal person just cannot grasp that concept because they've been so brainwashed into thinking that, Oh, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about that because someone else will take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like all the memes with the left and right side of the bell curve in agreement and the people in the middle, just like this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. It's just that on full display again. So, um, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin from its inception is, has used the groundwork that was laid by a number of other projects. Um, and the the cryptographically verified signatures is something I want to jump off on a little bit because it's also uh, used as a manner of identification in other applications. So for my job, I am a licensed engineer, and so I'll have to sign off on projects from time to time. And the way that that is handled is with a USB stick that basically is my private key 
for signing the documents. Once electronic signatures started to become accepted by different states across the country, they basically accepted the same method of you know, more or less transaction verification as Bitcoin uses. I don't know that it's the same um, cryptographic algorithm or anything of that sort, but it's the same basic concept that the the institution I work for has the public key put into the documents in the signing software. And then I've got to provide my private key uh, personally to sign and attest that this is actually me making the signature because I have this piece of information that nobody else has access to. Right. I think it's just kind of neat to see in other applications um, because it's, it's basically the best method that we as humans have come up to come up with to this point to verify with, with utmost certainty that the person signing is the person we expect to be signing. Yes. And I even see that on, um, on a daily basis in my job, you know, I'm a machinist and we have a USB stick with a key saying that we own that software and you cannot use that software unless that key is plugged into the computer. I mean, it's, it's the same yeah. concept. You're just verifying that you are actually holding whatever you say you're holding, whether it's a license, Bitcoin, you know. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that with software licensing, but that's been, that's been around for a good while. You'll basically mm -hmm. download the software directly from the website of whatever company, but they won't let you actually use it until you've ordered from them and they've sent you the, the private key in the mail to be able to access it. That's interesting. Yep. Super gay, but no, oh, same application. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. What, what, what were you thinking from here? Um, I, I would assume just like kind of a good way would be um, how to hold your Bitcoin. You know, what kind of wallet could you ch should you choose? What features are you looking for? That kind of thing. Because, I mean, you've walked me through that because I was using uh, fucking I don't even remember what I was using before, but I'm using Phoenix now. So nice things. Yeah. Excellent. This is this is a stick that's been up my butt for a good while now. Um, there are a few wallets that I had never heard the names of until one particular fella was recommending them. And then everybody else in the orbit of this particular fella began to act like those were the only wallets in existence. So Bitcoin wallet became synonymous, synonymous with Coinami or whatever the recommendation was at the time. Lightning network enabled wallet became synonymous with wallet of Satoshi. They were used interchangeably without any mention of trade-offs or alternatives. It's bothered me for a long time. So I have very simple recommendations for choosing a good Bitcoin wallet. Obviously, um, it's going to depend on what you mean by good and what features you're looking for. But I personally use a very limited number of Bitcoin wallets. I use Sparrow on desktop and then Samurai, Blue Wallet, and Phoenix on mobile. And all four of these were chosen because they are large, well-known, free and open source software projects. Their code has been 
reviewed and verified by developers for years and run without issue for years. So though that company with a lot of eyes on it and free and open source software are my biggest deciding criteria. Since I run my own Bitcoin node and have for nearly a year now, the ability to choose the node that I connect to is also super important. I feel like that is the simple, like the very simple, potentially simple step that somebody newer to Bitcoin can take to dramatically increase their sovereignty. So that one is a must for me now. Um, excuse me. Uh, samurai does not relate. Samurai is the worst in this aspect. You can connect to your own node. You've got to use all of the additional Samurai software on desktop to allow your node to translate into something that Samurai can read. And it's really complicated and doesn't make a lot of sense. And I haven't been able to figure it out. So I'm trying, I've been moving away from Samurai since I got my node set up, but I still use it for some aspects because it is handy uh, for what it does still. Um, yeah. And the, the final point was additionally, and this should go without saying, if you aren't the custodian, they aren't your Bitcoins. So this has been the biggest complaint I've had with wallet of Satoshi specifically, because it is explicitly a custodial lightning wallet. Um, and that notion that's made explicit by the company itself is not made explicit by those advocating for its use. I, I don't have a problem with people saying, you know, use this. It's fine for smaller amounts. It is custodial. So you can be rug pulled at any moment, but when it becomes synonymous with Bitcoin lightning wallet that I have a problem with. Yeah, because it kind of undermines the whole point of Bitcoin where it is about your sovereignty and, and being your own bank. Exactly. And when when I see people that are routinely discussing these topics without any mention of that, I start getting suspicious. Yeah, because then it, it goes into, well, you know, how much of this is willful, willful ignorance and how much of it is not necessarily malicious intent, but they're definitely being paid to say these, you know, that kind of content. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know enough to make any particular accusations, but it irks me as somebody who has been in this space, significantly shorter in amount of time than the fellow in particular that comes to mind, who often proclaims how long he's been at the space. Uh, if I had spent all of my time only listening to his content about Bitcoin, the way he describes it, I would be much worse off currently than I was, than I am now, not even two years into this and like teaching Bitcoin and Bitcoin sovereign usage at a higher level than he has done. So it irks me. Well, and it may not even be like a malicious intent. It may be just his preference for using Bitcoin, which is not necessarily being his own bank, but it could be also be, you know, just having that diversification of his currency. Whether yeah. it's precious metals, USD, Bitcoin, shitcoin, whatever. You know, yeah. I, I mean, that's his own prerogative. 
and it yeah. may be malicious intent. It may be um, just his use of Bitcoin. Yeah, it very well could be. And I, I don't necessarily think that there's any malice behind it, but it, it just, and that's why I won't say the name particularly. I, I, I love the guy for a lot of the stuff that he does, but this particular topic has been a sticking point for me for a while. Yeah. But that is basically my criteria for what I would consider a good Bitcoin wallet. Um, reproducible code, AKA free and open source is a, a huge sticking point because we're talking about money at the very least and up to and including your life savings potentially. Um, so if the, if the code's not able to be reproduced um, and fully open and available for auditing, I don't trust what's inside. It's too oh, easy yeah. for somebody to, even if it wasn't their intent originally, end up being coerced into a honeypot situation when you're handling, you know, millions, billions of dollars. Oh yeah, that's an easy slope to get sucked into. It's like, oh, what if I just scavenge, you know, a little bit off the top, and yep. then it starts going into oh, this. This is all mine. Fuck you. You shouldn't have fallen into the trap. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, it's like Jack will always say on the survival podcast, like there's not uh, some big building with a B that they can go and hold up somebody and say, give us all the Bitcoin. But someplace like Wallets of Satoshi, who is explicitly acting as a custodian, there is a lead developer who could have that gun put to his head. So even if it was never his, in his intent to rug pull everybody, he's created a situation where that could be the outcome. Yeah. Um, ba -bum. um okay. I guess while we're on the topic of wallets, yeah. what would be um, an exchange that you would suggest to buy Bitcoin off of? Yes. Um, so you would ask the safest places to buy Bitcoin, and that always like any sort of superlative like that will always depend on your particular threat model. So I got to put that out front, but sorry about that. I had a phone call. Oh, no worries. Yep. No worries. So we had been about to discuss safest places to buy Bitcoin. Um, just to reiterate, it is going to depend on what your threat model is. Um, Obviously, a lot of places require KYC, which we'll also discuss later, just identifying information, basically, um, to do any financial transactions. Um, so you're going to want, if you're, if you're going with an option that requires any sort of identifying information, you want to make sure that that entity has a good track record of handling such information. <clears throat> so... Swan Bitcoin, Cash App, and Fold App are all reasonable options with good reputations. Um, I put Swan Bitcoin first because it's the first to come to mind, but I would actually put that at the lowest on that list because Swan has had some issues over the last year or so with data handling, um, and I do not use them anymore, especially since last fall when Fold added the ability to 
buy Bitcoin without any transaction fees within the application itself. Yeah, that's suspicious as fuck. What? Having no transaction fees. Uh, I mean, it, it's just all batched together. Um, and since Fold mm. is making its money on the gift cards and fees associated with like the yearly um, like usage fee, basically to, to use folds debit card. Um, it, it makes sense to me. Gotcha. They have, they have other methods that they are generating money through. Um, but Swan Bitcoin, for instance, I had asked to, remove off all of my information last summer when I no longer felt that I could trust their handling of my identifying information. And I still get daily to weekly emails from them, which does not increase my expectations of their handling data appropriately. Right, especially if you're still on their email <laughs> listings. Yes. Uh, but Cash App is what I was using and still use on occasion because you can basically use it as an alternative to a Bitcoin ATM. Um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but you can basically go to all sorts of different locations like 7-Eleven gas stations and hand the clerk dollars and immediately have that balance minus $1 available in your cash app and then you can buy bitcoin in there for reasonable fees a lot a lot more reasonable than the bitcoin atms which also require full kyc um, and immediately withdraw to your own wallet to limit any issues of or potential issues of having a custodian so that's a a, a reasonable option um i've heard of better bitcoin atm options but there are I believe the last I checked, 13 different companies that offer Bitcoin ATMs in the city that I live in. And I looked into the policy for all of them, and they all require driver's license, phone number, and email address to use. Plus, they've got like 20% fees on transactions. See, and that's interesting because there it's quite popular down here in Texas, uh, especially I'm in kind of West Texas, mm -hmm. um, uh, not really like El Paso or anything like that, but it's close enough. And um, they're extremely popular down here. I haven't ever looked into them. Obviously, I, they're not for my purpose. Um, however, it I wonder if the ones down here would be of maybe like a different company you know there's just a lot more illegals down here they could probably get away with not using a driver's license and stuff like that to identify i don't know I, i've never looked into it but it's just something to to think about that it's interesting yeah you'd think with a, a market like that they've got to have some way to reach that market and if they require something like a driver's license, that's not going to be an option to a large number of customers. I mean, especially folks like immigrants um, sending remittances back home. Bitcoin yeah. is a, a great option for that. But if they're locked out of the market, then that's, that's a big opportunity being missed by those companies if they're not finding ways around it. 
And see, I don't think they are, you know, running into roadblocks with that because they're, like I said, they're in almost every gas station down here. Uh, there's, you know, a few exceptions, but a lot of the smaller gas stations and stuff like that, they do have uh, Bitcoin ATMs. So it's an interesting thought as to whether or not they, how they get around that or if they even are. Maybe just the pe- people themselves are finding ways around it, not necessarily the companies. Yeah, it could be. They could have a, a buddy that they go through or something like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. Um, so other options for like peer-to-peer options that do not require any of the identifiable and inf- identifying information would be like just simply handing a friend dollars and then watching them send you Bitcoin. <laughs> if you've got a buddy that's been into this for a long time and you're trying to get involved, um, Matt O'Dell from TFTC recommends that as the starting point for anybody you're trying to onboard. And it's a great idea. Just, you know, send them $10 in Bitcoin as a, a simple way to get them started rather than having them upload their driver's license, social security, whatever it requires and getting them KYC in a new institution when they're not even sure whether this is something that they want to participate with long-term um, better not to, cuck your friends right out the gate. Um, so that is a good option. And then also others that I, from what I hear are reasonable options with reputations that have held up for, you know, well for over a year that I've been aware of them are RoboSats, BISC and HODL HODL. They've all got slightly different models, but they offer uh, peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange services. So you'll send somebody willing to sell their Bitcoin, some manner of payment. Um, BISC uses like e-gift cards. You can do Zelle payments if you have Bank of America or other participating banks, uh, ACH transfers, all like they've got a whole insane list of payment options and they don't require any of your identifying information to use BISC. Um, obviously a lot of those payment options are going to have your identifying information, but if you're buying a gift card to like, I don't know, Outback Steakhouse or whatever, and that's going to be the end of your transaction with Amazon. And if say you're buying that gift card from Amazon, they don't, I don't know that they have any way of tracking that after the fact. And then you just send that code to the person you're buying Bitcoin from and they send you Bitcoin and no one is any the wiser. So there's a few different options with, all sorts of different manner of payment. Do you have any questions about those? Um, not that I can think of right now. Um, we may circle back to it if I can think of something later or anything like that. Um, okay. Yeah. And obviously if you're already any, any option that you have already sent, you know, driver's license, et cetera, identifying information to, unless you've got a good reason to no longer trust them or to now trust another institution significantly more, I would say it's generally a good idea to just stick with the institution that already has your information rather than continue to give it to more. Um, obviously with the identif- with the extenuating circumstances already outlined. Uh, what further thoughts do I have there? I don't know. I need to text my wife because my dog has decided he needs to go outside and he keeps booping me. 
Yeah, I think that was about that. Um, yeah. Uh, any Bitcoin, any like crypto exchanges that are still currently operating, I think the general rule of thumb is to expect that they are basically all handling business the same way that FTX does. But if you are already KYC'd with one of those exchanges and you buy and immediately withdraw, I think your options, your potential for rug pull is significantly limited. Um, but I guess there's the more important important point there being it's pretty safe to assume they're all doing some of the fishiness that FTX was up to, to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah. I don't see corporations being not fishy, (laughs) especially whenever they're so dug into the, the, you know, government and and for sure. Yeah. For sure. Like even that's where I started off with was Coinbase. And it's still where I get my, my Bitcoin from. However, like you said, I, I immediately, as soon as I can, it's out of there. You know, I don't let it leave in there. I don't, I don't put large amounts of, of Bitcoin in there at all. You know, just whatever I buy for the week. And then once it's ready to trade, I just send it out to my personal wallet. I don't let it sit in there. (laughs) After, even before the whole FTX thing, I never even trusted fucking Coinbase. Yeah, that's a good move. Coinbase has been, they've they've got quite good advertising and they've got a pretty significant first mover advantage, but they have made all sorts of ethical compromises already in their history um, i know one thing cody was apt to point out all the time was that originally coinbase had taken the firm stance that they would not offer any crypto on their exchange that had offered a pre-mine so they had you know mined and given to their founders whatever percentage of the supply and then still listed it for exchange just like obviously introducing uh speculation and trading into the asset when you know the founders hold a preponderance of the total supply as well as rulemaking authority um which is i mean it opens wide the door for possibilities of unsuspecting people losing their money um but they initially offered ripple as the first deviation from that promise and the door just kind of opened wide from there they don't really have much in the way of uh any ethics remaining on that front they'll offer anything that they feel like will bring them trading fees yeah I mean, if you look at it, you can't really blame them. They're a business. However, you still have to have some sort of ethics in your business model. Even if you are a business, you can't just fuck over your customers. For sure. For sure. Um, where else should we go? Uh, so you know that a Bitcoin ETF is not the same as Bitcoin. Is that safe to assume? Oh, I have no clue what you're, what you're even talking to so, <laughs> or what you're talking about. Okay. Um, so I remember sometime last year I was talking about Bitcoin with my dad. He's like, oh yeah, I own some of that on E-Trade or whatever. 
And I was like, there's, there's literally no chance that you do. He's like, yeah, no, I got grayscale Bitcoin. I'm like, dad, that's, it's not at all the same thing. Um, so you know what an ETF is generally? No. Okay. It, it stands for exchange traded fund, I believe. Um, basically mm-hmm. it's a, a financial instrument to kind of track the pricing without directly owning an asset. So you'll have like gold futures, silver futures, like all this stuff where you can take long and short positions to try to bet on the success or failure of a particular asset or uh, just whatever um, over a particular time period. So Grayscale was granted an ETF a couple of years ago, I believe. Um, but it's obviously it's, it's just, uh, struggling for words. It's just a financial instrument that gives the owner a nominal exposure to the pricing action of Bitcoin. So you have nominal exposure to the gains without any of the freedoms. You don't, when you own the Bitcoin ETF, it, it should be obvious to anybody familiar with Bitcoin, you don't actually own Bitcoin. You just in it there would be kind of justifications for buying a grayscale Bitcoin ETF if you were in some sort of a IRA or something like that where you couldn't actually buy Bitcoin with that money that was tied up until retirement without the fees of withdrawing before retirement where you still wanted some of that price appreciation from Bitcoin. Like you think, Oh, in the next five years, U S stock market's going to shit. Like it has looked like it was going to forever. Uh, but Bitcoin is continuing to get adoption. I would like to have exposure to Bitcoin's price movement with this money that's stuck here either way, rather than have it go down with the ship of U S stocks. That is a reasonable option given those constraints, but it is not Bitcoin and offers none of the, assurances or promises therein gotcha okay yeah i'd never heard of that uh, (laughs) or that even anyone even need you know did anything like that your life is probably better off for having been unaware yeah (laughs) ignorance is bliss yes indeed indeed um so we'll jump to what is a bitcoin node and who should run a node It is often said just simply that running a, this is something that Rollo and Slappy would say all the time, running a node is the the simple step to make one a first-class citizen in the Bitcoin economy, Bitcoin network, whatever, uh, which doesn't really say a whole lot about exactly why one would run a node or what it does for you. So I hope to expand upon that here. Um Nodes verify and confirm the rules of the network are being followed. Nodes maintain network consensus. If any party is able to make any change to Bitcoin in any manner for any reason, the nodes, and by extension, well, I guess, firstly, the node runners have the ability and the duty to reject that change with their nodes if it is found or believed to be outside of the best interest of the users of Bitcoin. For this reason, there are no automatic updates in Bitcoin, the node software is free and open source and heavily audited. It is almost always advisable to make updates slowly 
to your node to ensure that you're not introducing any vulnerabilities. Um, an obvious aberration from the strategy would be if some sort of horrible exploit is found and easily patched with a small and simple update. In this case, it would be advised to update quickly. In, a, in any other case, it is best to keep your node running only the version that you are comfortable with, developers have stringently tested, etc. So the node, every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, every node in the network is receiving the latest block of all of the most recently sent transactions on the network. The miners compile all those transactions into the block and are competing amongst each other to get the block subsidy, which is the amount of Bitcoin per develop per block that is sent to the miner that gets the block accepted onto the blockchain. So miners have to maintain all the rules of the network and ensure that all the transactions within that block follow all the rules of the network. And they are doing this in a competitive environment where the motivation for tomfoolery, for lack of a better word, is limited because if you're trying to push in a block that falls outside of the rules of the network, your block's going to be rejected by the nodes because they're going to see that it's just going to be a zero or one. Does it follow the rules? Does it not? It's going to be rejected. And then you don't get the, um, the award for adding that block to the chain. So often people will talk about miners having all of the control and it is definitely the case that if one particular miner or pool of miners act gets a big enough share of the hash rate, which is just basically the, excuse me, computing power being put toward confirming the transactions. If one entity or one group of entities gets a great enough amount of that computing power, they can begin to censor transactions and not include them in the blocks. But this is an uneconomical choice for them because all it would take is for another miner or a group of miners to join together to outweigh them in computing power to override their decision to be censorious. So Bitcoin was designed literally with this attack vector in mind to line up the economic incentives with the freedom incentive of the user. Does any of that make sense? I strayed a little bit away from nodes particularly to go into miners as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, it kind of helps keep from one group taking over and just making the rules. You know, you have the chance to at least counteract that with uh, a group of your own miners or whatnot. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it does make sense. Cool. So the your Bitcoin node, or in this case, since I'm running a node, I'll say my Bitcoin node, is what I use to broadcast broadcast transactions from my wallet to any other location, whether that's another wallet of mine to you, to one of the listeners, to Jake at Childerberg, whatever it might be. And it also 
verifies to me that payments that are incoming are indeed incoming in the case that somebody paid too low a transaction fee. It's going to take a while to confirm. I at least know that that transaction is on its way. Um, trying to think what else. Yeah, and it just ensures that all payments to and from me are following the rules of the network, aka I'm not receiving something counterfeit. I'm not receiving Bitcoin cash that somebody told me was Bitcoin, something to that effect. Um, I have that power by running my own node. I can verify all transactions coming in or out are legitimate, are what they are supposed to be. The only way to do that is through running your own node or connecting. And I use this interchangeably because I feel like many people just either don't have the, like don't have an internet connection strong enough to handle the initial block download in a reasonable amount of time. Do not have, you know, maybe at say a hundred dollars to spare to have an old laptop running a Bitcoin node. Don't have the care to go through the installation, whatever. There's a long list of reasons that one might not. But if there's a person who you trust simply well enough not to lie to you directly, you can trust generally in connecting to their Bitcoin node. If it's somebody that you know is just going to fuck you over or is likely to in small and petty ways, I would not trust them to this degree. But especially, I guess I would say, especially somebody who is not a high tech person who would not have like the technical prowess to know how to do anything malicious with their node. They like, just like take, thinking of myself, for example, here, I barely had the like, uh, programming, if you can even call it that ability to get my node set up. I don't know how I could use it in a manner to dick somebody over if I'm letting them connect to my node. Um, obviously, that's easy to say and it's difficult to prove a negative, but you're know, just kind of giving an example. So you can you know, say, I run a Bitcoin node. My dad connects to it. My mom connects to it. My brother connects to it. They don't have any care in running their own node, they know that I run a node. I can have however many people running transactions through it that I care to. Um, I don't know that there's an upper limit on that, how many wallets you can connect to the same node. Um, yeah. It, so the, the alternative, if you are not connecting to your own node or that of somebody run or the node of somebody run the node run by somebody who you know and trust you are having to connect to someone else's node because there's no other that is your terminal into the bitcoin network that's your on-ramp to from your wallet to someone else's wallet if you're not connecting to your own node or a node run by somebody you know and trust you're connecting to the node of somebody you do not know and have no reason to trust these are the options Right. And and that's where, you know, someone like you comes in that is, has the ability to run the nodes and 
you you know are a trusted individual mm-hmm. that can help those kind of people out especially you know um those that are not interested in setting up their own nodes once i get my own place and get settled in that may be something that i may be looking more into and and that kind of thing yeah hell yeah i'd be happy to walk you through it we've got a whole guide and everything nice yeah but dennis was the only person who took me up on my offer uh on instagram a few months back to allow anybody who does not will not or doesn't care to run their own node can connect to mine rather than some probably large company with maybe or maybe not a good reputation rather than trusting that individual or group of individuals trust jared yeah i mean i've met you in person Uh, we've had some pretty good conversations stuff like that you know you're a trusted individual in my mind so there is no reason not to trust you and that kind of put my mind at ease where it's like, oh, you know, I don't have, it's one less thing that I have to worry about, you know, if something were to happen like that. Yeah. They all get, you know, bought up by the government themselves or just legislation, allowing them to look through and, and you know, several different things that it could be. And and just having that individual's note is, is you know, a lot more peace of mind in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's like a low level of trust required, but you know, there's just, there's definitely those people that you meet them a couple of times and you're like, this is a pretty okay guy. Or you meet him a couple of times. You're like, I would not fucking trust that guy to watch a stick of gum for me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately a lot of people in the world are that person. I wouldn't trust <laughs> a stick of gum. Yes. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that, but it, it's also just difficult. I feel like for people to make that change in their mind, to proactively go from the default setting like once you make that switch to putting in the option yourself rather than the default you take a level of responsibility there and even though it's a step in the correct direction i feel like people are a lot more comfortable just sticking with the default settings and not taking that responsibility because they feel like then the blame's not on them if something goes wrong where the blame is directly in their face if something goes wrong after they've made the decision to change themselves. Right. And Bitcoin is explicitly and intentionally radical self-responsibility. And I feel like people listen to just the bits of the Bitcoin message that they like and don't really care to take all that responsibility. They want to have somebody like a bank that knows everything that they ever do every transaction they make to who, you know, the, the sex toys that they're buying on Friday, the weed at the shop on Saturday, whatever. Yeah. And not question that system rather than take matters into their own hands. And it's all gross the way that it is currently when you think about it for just a little while that like these companies that have absolutely no incentive to keep all of your information safe are taking all of your information and explicitly in their 45 page long privacy policy saying that they're going to sell it to other people because that's how they make money. And that's why the account is free. Yeah. I mean, it's just laziness uh, a lot of the time and not wanting, like you said, that responsibility and of their own actions. And it's just something that we just see from society these days. Anyway, it's, it's nothing new. It's not nothing that's, you know, been recent. We've been seeing that decline in the past, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just been a gradual increase. For sure. I would definitely agree with that. 
What was I going to do next? Buddy, I can't help you right now. Um, so looking at some of my questions here. Uh, let's get into what KYC is, I suppose. Yes. I feel like that's a good topic to go off of after talking about legitimacy and all that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Because I have good. no clue. I, I've I've had it explained to me one time. Um, I may or may not have been sober during that explanation, so I do not remember <laughs> that. <laughs> what the purpose of KYC is. Um, that was at Childerberg. That was, um, fuck, I don't even remember his name. He was a cool dude, though. The the guy with the the stand. No, although I, I did talk to him, I, that was not him who was explaining it to me. Although I didn't know who you're talking about, he was a cool guy as well. I was wondering if you were you were blaming your lack of sobriety on the 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 guy with the Wagyu beef burgers and and definitely nothing else for sale. Yeah. Um, no, he was my neighbor though. That was he was a good neighbor. He was something else. He was a really cool guy, though. Yeah, his uh, he he was in Mike's episode of about Chutterberg. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was a, a cool ass dude. dude. Just living free. I mean, he yeah. Was. If there's yeah. anybody I've ever met that's living free, it's that fucking guy. Yeah. Um. So, KYC just simply stands for Know Your Customer. It's part of a lot of financial regulations that regulators and large financial institutions have successfully forced onto many financial transactions. It requires harvesting of critical personal identifying information on the customer by the merchant in the name of stopping money laundering. So for the same reason, your employer probably required all sorts of identifying information from you to send you paychecks, exchanges and other financial institutions like banks are required to collect this information as well. KYC is stupid. Those are the notes I made. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. So just another way for the, for them to, you know, say that you're not committing fraud or anything like that. You can report it to an agency. Hey, this man is, you know, committing fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Got kind you. of. That that that's the idea on its face. It's like the the Patriot Act was to, you know, protect protect the homeland, find terrorists and then oh my gosh, 15 years later, what? Domestic terrorists? They're going to point it back on the people who cried <laughs> for it and required it? Yeah, How could this that. happen? It's only like the hundredth such instance. Yeah, not to mention the fucking TikTok ban thing, but we won't, we won't get into all of that. Oh man, yeah, I'm sure it'll be on the next WTF. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, I, I I never tire of like I still never get tired of hearing more information on the FTX debacle, the bank failures a couple of weeks ago, and any of these bills that are like, you know, the Save the Children Act, and they're like we're going to literally put poison in your kids drinking water and only give it to them at school. So it doesn't poison everybody else. It's like this horrible shit that's explicitly laid out in the bill. And the NPCs are still like, you're really against the save the children act. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I can, I have a reading comprehension oh. above the kindergarten. <laughs> oh man. I never get tired of it. And I know it's like, like doom porn or whatever, but uh, that, that's my guilty pleasure. It's just any, any sort of, content like that I, I will never tire of it yep so yeah tftc covers it uh very often anytime that there's some sort of a data breach or whatever they'll hammer the point home again that these companies are required to collect all this information from you store it in central servers 
often in plain text. They won't even encrypt it. It's just obviously creating a honeypot for hackers in the, you know, the most charitable case, or just those institutions literally selling it off to whoever the fuck or everybody in the the least cheery of cases, which has happened plenty of times as well. Um, you know, just like with fucking uh, gun free zone signs, criminals don't bother following those. Criminals don't bother following financial regulations. It's just putting innocent people in harm's way applied to money instead of safety at the school. Yeah. Uh, You had also mentioned uh, using big, I can't get my other laptop to scroll, scroll. There we go. Got to touch it. Use increasing privacy when using Bitcoin. Do you want to get yeah. into that? Yeah, um, I think that's definitely, especially going into the whole KYC thing and how it kind of reaches that privacy thing. Mm-hmm. So, try and lay some groundwork here with a few different thoughts, um, and then get into some nitty gritty. So, where do I want to start? Uh the the KYC like. Yes. So a good place to start if privacy is one of your major concerns would be some sort of non-KYC method of obtaining Bitcoin, whether that's your buddy doesn't really care. He buys it off of Cash App every week and he buys extra so that he can sell you some on the weekend and you hand him dollar bills for it. That's a good option. You can use something like BISC, HODL, HODL, other uh, non-KYC exchanges. It's another good option to increase your privacy when using Bitcoin because the Bitcoin itself does not contain any of this identifying information. It all comes from the fiat on and off ramps thanks to government regulation. Bitcoin is a pseudonymous network. You can if you have a public key, generate the receive addresses for a wallet. So you would know if I had the public key for Dennis's wallet, I could see, all right, all of these addresses are what he's going to receive to if he, if he continues to use this wallet. So I can watch for all, watch uh, a mempool for transactions to come through with any of these addresses. And I'll know that Bitcoin or Dennis now has however much Bitcoin was sent to those addresses. So addresses is not the best of terminology, but it's what we've used in Bitcoin thus far. Um, An important first step, I guess second step, because we've already discussed the first step, is to never reuse an address when you're doing a Bitcoin transaction. So when you generate a new address to receive to, which most all good Bitcoin wallets should offer a new address every time that you click receive. When you generate that new address, as long as you haven't shared your pub key with anybody, there isn't any easy way to tie two addresses in the same wallet to each other, except through those fiat on-ramps and off-ramps. So if you're buying from Cash App, 
every week and sending it to your Phoenix wallet, but you generate a new address every time. Somebody who has taken an interest in you buying Bitcoin for whatever reason would notice, all right, Dennis bought Bitcoin again on Friday and he sent, it was in a similar amount as usual. He sent it out the same day to a different address this time, but we could reasonably assume all these addresses belong to Dennis because he's developed a pattern here. Um, and that's kind of the important thing with identification on Bitcoin anyway, is because it's all probabilistic. So it's generally safe to assume the first transaction from a KYC exchange to a Bitcoin wallet, that wallet belongs to the person that sent the Bitcoin transaction from the exchange. Each transaction after that becomes less and less probable to be the original buyer of the Bitcoin, if we want to stick with this example. So it's generally given as a guideline that five hops from KYC, the, the basically the trail runs cold at that point. After it's moved five times from one wallet to another, it's the, I believe the way it's been explained is like the, the options for ownership at that point have increased exponentially to be so large that it's not useful information any further. Does right. that make because any sense just, so far? It's, an, it's just an exponential um, probability of who it could be, whether it's the original owner that's just moving from wallet to wallet to get to wherever they're holding it initially or finally, or mm -hmm. it could be just some random person they sent it to at some point. Yeah, it could have been sent to five different people at that point. Um, yeah. But something kind of important to note with that, I guess, also is if I buy Bitcoin, I send it to myself, then I send it to you. And you, for whatever reason, have to cash it out, pay bills, whatever. It goes back to fiat, which obviously the Bitcoin doesn't turn into fiat. It goes to an exchange. Excuse me. And then you get fiat in return. Then whoever buys that same Bitcoin at whatever point from that exchange, that five hop is basically reset. So anytime that KYC is introduced you have to get five hops away to have any reasonable certainty that somebody who has the explicit interest in following this chain of custody can no longer reasonably do so. Obviously, all of this requires some person or machine specifically looking at your transactions. Because to the network itself, doesn't know or care who was on either end of any transaction. Right, and it would take a lot of manpower, or at least machine power, to sit there and watch. Yes, yes. So you can look on a mempool, like mempool.space, and this just contains, it's a place to see all the transactions in the current block, all the transactions going back into every block. Um, Cody and I went through this in our, is our coin joins useful episode season two, episode 19, as it's currently named. Um, he had, since they were published publicly, all of the, uh, transactions 
going to the Canadian truckers during the protests last winter, February-ish. You could follow those transactions as they went. Um, it, it's just a simple, like, it was here, it went here, you click that one, and you see, all right, it's now been split into three transactions, it went here, here, and here. You can follow all of that when you know the transaction ID of the transactions, which were, they were made public for accountability's sake on the people who were collecting the donations to prove that they had given them to particular people and hadn't just run off with the money. So in that case, there was reason behind making that information public, but also then it became more easily traceable. And those transactions were frozen by the exchanges and not allowed. Like if you see this transaction, red flag it, you can't cash it out. Um, without like a public eye of scrutiny leading to the necessity to publish those transaction IDs, you don't end up in that situation. So if we're in a world where people are more comfortable and familiar with Bitcoin, they've got, everybody's got a Bitcoin wallet of some variety on their phone. You can just make those sends to the people in need without having to announce it publicly there's not a chain of custody that can be followed am i right, making any I, sense or am i rambling now no 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 I, I i see where you're following like where you're going with this train of thought it's it just becomes an exponentially easier uh thing to find out whenever it's public information because you can just track it you know address by address it may not be necessarily useful because it's still just an address. You, you don't have any other information past that. However, like you said, they can flag and be like, hey. And it's no different than um, credit card companies flagging gun stores. Right. Yep. Yep, and, exactly. And, and so with it being less public, it's a lot easier. Yes. Makes, so this is also sense. why this is why you use a new address every time you receive. Because right. – Somebody that's following that particular transaction can only see what hit that address. So if you keep sending to that one address, you're making an, an obvious to any onlooker honeypot situation where it's like, oh, he's got literally keep sending to this one address. He's got one Bitcoin there. It is reasonably safe to assume he's not smart enough to have more than one Bitcoin since he's used the same address every time, but he's got one Bitcoin. Let's see if we can trace this back and find the on-ramp, figure out who this is, show up at his door. Right. I think that's a reasonable suspicion when you're – a reasonable concern to try to mitigate when you're working with that sort of money. Um, and it's easy to avoid it just by generating a new address because every single transaction then has to be tracked separately and it becomes difficult to prove that all of those – ever did or still belong to the same person or entity if it's a different address every time right it, it, i guess it'd just be more or less the same concept as trying to lose uh, like a bloodhound or something like that where you're you're cross you're doing things to actively prevent your trail being followed Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. If you keep taking the same trail, every time you run from the cops, they know which yeah, way to go. They're eventually going to start <laughs> just setting up there, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's a good analogy. Um, so there are 
a few different Bitcoin improvement proposals that have been around for long and short amounts of times that aim to increase privacy on Bitcoin. They would all require a soft fork, which is just like a, an augmentation of the rules of Bitcoin. Soft forks always have to add to the rule set. They cannot change any existing rule within Bitcoin, if that makes sense. Um, but even so, soft forks are always, any change to Bitcoin is heavily scrutinized because the the idea is more or less, it's working currently. We need to know exactly what possible outcomes could come from this change you're proposing. Like, yeah, if the way that you've worded it sounds great, because of course it did, you're trying to sell us on your idea, but we've got to consider every way that any retard could try to weaponize this in a different manner and do something that was never the intention and really screw things up. So there are some proposals and I've just looked through a handful of them and seen like the, the GitHub, which is all the, the nice flowery language of like what we're aiming to do. And this is how it's done. And here's a bunch of complicated words about cryptography that you don't understand, but a lot of them haven't been like publicly scrutinized yet because they aren't too, the level of being potentially introduced. So it's not worth it for a developer whose time is limited and valuable and could be spent uh, auditing any other code to go over whatever this proposal is. So there are potentials for different privacy improvements to come to Bitcoin in the future. But currently I still maintain that the fiat on and off ramps are the major privacy issues because if your name isn't tied to the Bitcoin, when you first convert fiat to it, the rest of it doesn't matter a whole lot because all the rest of it's harder to prove. But with all that in mind, um, Whirlpool or other coin join implementations are often suggested as a way to wash the KYC off of the Bitcoin. Um, you and four other people will send to the implementation in your wallet the same denomination of Bitcoin. It'll be mixed around and done something computery with, and then it spits back out to each person minus a fee. So like you put in 0.1 Bitcoin, you get back 0.99 or something like that because the the running of the whirlpool requires coordination on the part of the software and computing power. So they take a fee for doing that. And the expectation is, okay, now that it's come back out the other end, nobody knows what belonged to who initially, and we should all be kind of clean from here going forward. And it makes sense, at least on its face, when it's explained that way, because if we all have $5 bills and we shuffle them all around and tumble them up, assuming they aren't all serialized because they are, but we just don't have that in this case. Then we spit them back out on the other end. Nobody knows whose $5 bill was whose at the beginning. But since we're actually using code in this case, it's not that simple. Um, basically, you are relying 
on these four strangers to maintain the same levels of privacy from the coin join onward that you will, or else they start removing, they start becoming identifiable and limiting your anonymity pool, if that makes any sense. Right, because, you know, even though you mixed it all up, now that they're using, you know, less secure measures, they're becoming less anonymous and it can be more or less traced back to you through that transaction, I suppose. Yeah. So if, if you've got, I mean, you're, you're coming in with an anon set of five, which is not bad. It's significantly better than one. An anon set of one is just identity. <laughs> right. But yeah. as those five people, if you send your whirlpooled coins to the same wallet as KYC coins, they're basically as good as KYC at that point because your UTXOs are going to get mixed around. You're going to have a high likelihood of re-identifying yourself if they're in the same wallet. So if just that happens, whether intentionally or by accident, that person's removed from the Anon set. If they send back to an exchange for whatever reason after whirlpooling, they're removed from the Anon set. I don't like explicitly relying on somebody else to maintain my privacy. So I don't love coin joins as they currently exist for that reason. Right. Because you're, you're relying on somebody else to not fuck up to, uh, I mean, it's more or less uh, like a real world example would be, I guess you could say like a secret organization or something like that and someone getting arrested and then ratting someone else out. I mean, it's not yeah. quite that bad, but it's more or less the same concept of you have now a known associate, I guess you could say, and then you could trace theirs back to yours and then from you back to you know your wallet or, or any other kind of uh, yep. address or identification of yourself. Yep, you're basically on it. And you know what? Just to come back to this point, again sort of the the coin join idea itself would be a honeypot because you're mixing with four strangers and those yeah, four strangers be could fed. be anybody exactly yeah. you have no certainty of who they are and i guess the a counterpoint a counterpoint could be you know having a whirlpool of your friends that you know and trust and while it, it the same thing can happen it's less likely especially if you all you all have like a pretty rigid set of um i guess you could say rules to keep an on an anonymity among everyone yeah I, I think it'd at least be worth thinking through with somebody who has gone deeper on this subject than i have if five people who know each other got together with KYC coins going in, is there any benefit on the other side? Huh. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, I could see that being something that you could do. You'd have to definitely um, make sure everyone understands what's going on. And, and and it would also probably help to do it with non-KYC Bitcoin as well, just to get that little bit of extra protection. Because not only is a, a non-KYC Bitcoin, but it would also be um people that you know i mean it's not a well, stranger that could be a fed or anything like that 
That's true. But to, to go back to a previous point, if you've come in, if you've obtained this Bitcoin without any of your identifiable information, there isn't much of a purpose, as far as I can tell, to messing with a coin join. Because you're you're essentially trying to remove that initial identity stamp from the transactions. If it or didn't exist in the first place. Like KYC with non-KYC, or is that still something that you could more or less track just because it's a KYC Bitcoin and then the other ones aren't? So I think that's that's kind of the idea as it sits. People will often take their KYC Bitcoin and mix it, you know, with four strangers not knowing whether their Bitcoin is KYC or non-KYC. Obviously, there's a chance that it's non-KYC, and you're hoping on the other side it comes out without that obvious visibility back to the original fiat to Bitcoin transaction. Right. So that 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 might be a good move uh, if you've got a couple of buddies who are mining or working, you know, odd jobs for somebody for Bitcoin. They've got bitcoin without any of their identity attached to it and you and a couple of other friends have bitcoin you've bought from cash app or coinbase or wherever else and you want to mix it for privacy on the other end i don't know for sure that that would be a benefit to the non-kyc people and the kyc people but it's definitely something worth looking into it might be Hmm. i don't know it's just something i thought of that you know um, kind of made sense in my head. Whether or not it actually does, I have no clue. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm still pretty new to this, and it was just something that popped in my head. No, I like that. I, yeah. I think it's definitely worth considering. Um, something else that I looked into and did um, an episode with Rollo McFlugel. It was episode 13. Uh, about this time, it, no, I guess it would have been probably close to the summer of last year. Um, we were reading through the GitHub for BIP47 reusable payment codes. Um, PayNIMS is the most well-known implementation of them. Um, It is a reasonable option for increasing your privacy when using Bitcoin. It's it's a strange way that it works, but basically you access, like you allow your wallet to generate this reusable payment code and it will have some human-readable text that you could use to like have a contact list within your wallet um like red lion 47 or something like that um you establish a communication transaction with another party and this could be with between your phone and your computer for example um and then those two paynims each combination of those two paynims generates a new public key and private key associated with that wallet and that paynim sending money to that other paynim from that other wallet so it is somewhat disconnected from the original wallet um yeah i think that's a, the explanation there um it just kind of another way of simplifying transactions when you're it, it, since it has requires that initial communication transaction and a fee associated with it 
it wouldn't be a great option for like a, a merchant and customers who are buying on a one-off basis because it's such a such a hassle to make that initial connection. But if you're regularly sending money to a landlord or you are a landlord and you're receiving regular money from tenants who have Bitcoin, excuse me, um, it could be a good option in that case because the use of the reusable payment code itself adds some obscurity to the transaction. And you can also do what they call a cahoots transaction, which is somewhat like a two-person coin join. Um, That was the part that lost me in that spec. Um, I did not understand how it could be useful for two people to do a coin join and get any benefit on the other end, but it's worth looking further into. Um, So this could be an option if you are buying from Coinbase or whatever, sending it to you all on your phone, like Samurai supports the Paynim implementation, then you could send it from Samurai to Sparrow on your desktop, Paynim to Paynim, using the Kahoot's transaction, and additionally, like potentially, not additionally, potentially have a bit of, a bit or a lot of privacy increase just from yourself to yourself so you know you can trust both parties hopefully for potentially a small added expense over normal transaction fee but i couched my language intentionally in all of this because it relies on understanding a lot more a lot of things that i do not yet understand well enough did i make that unclear enough (laughs) um I guess it would be more like um, like a two th- two factor authentication sort of deal. I don't know. Um, yeah, kind sorry. of. Kind of. I think so. A, somehow a fucking wasp in my room. Oh, I don't fuck know where that. it came from. <laughs> and you just like showed up behind my monitor and flew up in front of my face. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of sort of makes sense, but it's also talking in in terms that I have. No clue what you're talking about. So. <laughs> That's completely fair. I think we did a reasonable job, Rollo and I. He's he's significantly more advanced than I am. And with that comes a lot of humility on his end that he's like, if it's not in Bitcoin Core, I'm not interested. He doesn't like Rollo's gotten it down to just the meat and bones. Um like sure, all these new proposals might be interesting or they might be vulnerabilities and I'm not going to fuck with them until like literally the Bitcoin core developers give it the green light. Um, so when we, yeah, I mean that, that is for sure the safest way to move forward because there's no chance that we understand to their level. I think with small denominations, it's fine to play with these different ideas and see whether you get burned or not, see whether it's a benefit to your daily life or not. Um, but don't risk your life savings on something that's not to that level proven yet. Right. And speaking of life savings, kind of uh, amounts of, of Bitcoin, I know a lot of people talk about putting that kind of stuff in cold storage, you know, um, what what's some what what is cold storage? That was a beautiful segue. 
That was beautiful. I tried um, my best. <laughs> so, the spectrum of cold to hot generally refers to internet connectedness. So, a hot wallet is on your phone. Your phone is probably, it's generally assumed to be always online, right? So, any any wallet that you have on your phone is a hot wallet because it is always connected to the internet. Right. So cold storage would be the opposite of that. You have generated keys in a computer that is offline and will never directly touch an internet connection. So this is... Is that kind of just like a USB drive or or maybe like an actual physical hard drive that you have connected to that particular computer that you could switch to another to bring it online to like a more of a hot wallet. Yes. So this is uh, basically the setup that Cody and I explained in season two, episode 18 and season two, episode 20. Um, you completely factory reset a computer, install only Linux and Sparrow wallet. Then once you've gone through installation, disconnect from the internet, remove the Wi-Fi adapter if you have one, ensure that internet connection is impossible from that point moving forward. Generate keys on this computer offline. In our cold storage vault setup, we recommend a three of seven multi-sig. You go through all the testing there, but leave that to that episode. This computer is now your signing device. It is similar in its reasoning for existence as a hardware wallet. It is basically functioning as a hardware wallet, but without Bitcoin-specific hardware from Bitcoin-specific manufacturing companies. Because I didn't like that attack surface, and I don't have a lot of trust for any of the hardware wallet manufacturers. So it's basically serving that purpose. You've generated keys offline. That computer will not directly ever touch the internet. So when you want to receive to that wallet, you can easily export a watch-only wallet to your node-connected computer, to your phone, to any other device. Then that has your public key, but not your private keys. So you can receive to cold storage from internet connected devices without exposing your private key to the internet. So that's a setup that I have. If I were to need to access the Bitcoin in that wallet, I would have to reinstall and recover that wallet to that computer that's still offline. Generate a transaction on that computer, sign it with three, with at least three keys, um, move that created transaction. No, you create the transaction on the node connected computer. Then you take it to the signing computer, use at least three keys to sign the transaction put that signed transaction onto the USB stick, then back to the node connected computer to broadcast the transaction. 
Does all of that make sense? Uh, you kind of lost me in the sticks a little bit. However, <laughs> I did get like uh, towards the end, it kind of came together, and it's like, okay, that makes a bit more sense. Like the more technical terms, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm lost. However, <laughs> I get the general like process of it. Mm-hmm. It, it. I mean, it's basically like uh, it's kind of dumbing it down. You can you can think of it like a a mail drop box, right? You can you can put money or envelopes in the case of a mailbox in it all day long but nobody from the outside can reach into there and take the envelopes back out you have to have the postal worker with the key come and unlock it and take the box out that has all the envelopes in it and then take them to where they belong well in this case you could deposit money into it as often as you like um from the watch only wallet because you have sent the public keys there so with the public keys you can receive to this wallet but without the private keys you cannot spend back out of that wallet so you have to have the keys to open up the box to take the transactions and send them anywhere else okay that makes a bit more sense cool 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 yeah it's definitely weird to think about a vault that is very difficult to remove something out of but you can put things into it all the time without any resistance. It kind of breaks our whole conception of like a physical vault, right? Right. Because if it's going to be hard to put things in, it's going to be hard to take things out. However, nine times out of 10, if it's easy to put something, something in, it's hard or it's easy to take it out. But in this case, it's kind of the antithesis where it's easy to put it in, but you can't take it out very easily without, knowing the keys and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, like a lockbox that you've buried in the woods, but you can just keep putting money in there without digging it up. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just have like a slot that you're just stuffing money down into it. Yeah. Somehow you got like a vacuum tube from this <laughs> to your house and it, it'll only suck one direction. It won't blow money back out. <laughs> It's weird to okay. try to and that's, that's uh, kind of what I figured it was, but I wasn't entirely sure, especially, you know, bring it online and, and you know, you're not, you're not bringing it online, but like just how correct. you get it out. Mm-hmm. That makes sense then. Okay. Yep. So with the, with the setup that we suggested, you've got obviously seven keys that are generated. You only need three to have access and you geographically distribute those. So you send them to an accountant, uh, your aunt in Washington state, your cousin in Florida, like you want them to be in several different areas. You want it to be like, this is, this is meant to be your life savings. It's intentionally difficult to access it because it's literally meant for in case of emergencies only, right? You don't want somebody who shows up at your house and puts a gun in your mouth to have any possibility of actually accessing it. You can keep adding money to it every day. And then if you need, you know, say it's, it's gotten to the point where it's a hundred thousand dollars. If you need to access a hundred thousand dollars, you know, it's there. You can spend $2,000 on plane tickets to go everywhere you need to, to collect all of these seed, these keys to be able to access that money. Right. Right, and I don't think you would even have to necessarily go that far. You could easily, I would say, 
hide it in just areas around your local town or city that you could definitely like just bury it or something like that and it'd, be, it'd still be a process to to get to it and you could always just i don't know uh, do what you'd said and, and send it out across you know either the country or just even i guess you could technically memorize it yeah you certainly could um but it i guess at this point it's also important to note that most bitcoin that has been lost from individuals to this point has been due to user error uh rather than theft or some sort of intentional attack so it's right. it's important to make sure that whatever process you use this is just what i was comfortable with um with the security that i wanted to put on that portion of my holdings that this is the setup that I went with because I'm comfortable with it. I have backup instructions written out. I went over them with my people that are most likely to be trying to access this in the case that something happens to me, in the case that something happens to me and my wife. I went over how to recover that money in a way that maintains all of the security and privacy that went into the setup and also the everything's falling apart. I just need the money now. Privacy be fucked. We'll deal with that later. Recovery instructions. Right. And that, and that is something that you'd have to definitely discuss with whoever you're comfortable with having that in case of emergency. So, yep. Yep. It's also important. Like, so the, the reason that the keys get, distributed geographically is to make sure that no one disaster natural or otherwise can wipe out enough keys that you no longer have a quorum hmm. right so if it's all in joplin missouri about, yeah yeah if they're all in joplin missouri and it gets leveled by a tornado you're fucked the money is just gone yeah Oh, and we've seen that with the famous story of the dude accidentally throwing away the wrong hard drive and then going through the fucking landfill and trying to find it. Yep. And it's gone forever, and it was like 10,000 Bitcoin or some shit. Yes. There becomes a point where it you've got enough saved up and the price is appreciated enough that it becomes economically worthwhile to spend $200,000 trying to find it, but you don't want to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a not fun time. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, I guess I'll also mention at this point, uh, you can, if you do a setup similar to what we suggested, and we mentioned this in the episode too, you can give your, I call them seed packets because I like gardening, um, your packets that have recovery instructions and one of the keys and X pubs, you can give those to folks who are not familiar with Bitcoin, as long as they're just people you can trust to keep important documents safe. And that's all the information that they need. Right. So I just want to make sure. Hey, don't lose this. Whatever you do, please, for the love of God. Yes. So if you've got a scatterbrained friend that's moving all the time and losing shit all the time, don't give that friend one of these. Do you want to bet your life savings on? Or you want to bet? 
You want to bet yeah. three sevens of your life savings on them? Right. Don't do it. Don't do it. Keep two to yourself if that's your option. Is there anything else particular that you wanted to go over today? Um, let me just read through my notes real quick and then. Yeah. Um, I guess just any other, any other tips for newbies like myself. The simple thing I would say, you're already taking custody of your own coins. That's a big step in the right direction. You have connected to the node of somebody you trust. That's an addition, like an additional big step in the right direction. Those are the two big hurdles. Um, third, if you like gambling, feel free to do so, but understand that messing with anything else is exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I see it. Like you're not every like stocks. I can kind of understand they've got a long track record. If you're investing in fucking Ford motor company, you've got a hundred years behind it over a hundred years at this point. That makes some amount of sense. If you're throwing money at Dogecoin because you think Elon might tweet about it again next week and see the price double, like just understand you're, you're literally playing craps or roulette um, and treat it as such. You're not, you're not a sage because you caught it before the first Elon tweet or whatever. Um, like stupid shit's going to do stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a coworker that was like that, who is like constantly dipping into different stocks and different other coins. And the entire time I'm just sitting there like, dude, I don't see this going well for your future. I'm just going to hold on to my Bitcoin, call it good there and not take all that risk. Like it was, it was that case of, yeah, you have a hundred different diversified stocks, but they're all in like, like he was big on, um, like cannabis stocks and, and hemp stocks and, oh, okay. like that. and it's like, okay, yeah. it's an oversaturated market. You can already see that like, mm -hmm. all these, I don't know. It was just one of those things where it's like, you're, you're gambling with your life savings. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad has gotten into that a lot lately as he's had more downtime trying to, to cut back on working so much because he farms and it's been a, a wreck on him. Um, so he's just been paring that back and he's using his free time to, to play in the stock market and he's using, he started with however much money and pulled out the initial money because he did well and whatever boom initially. And he's, he's still in the green, but just because of that mindset, it was really difficult to get him to understand that Bitcoin is looking to solve a different purpose than buy me today and sell me next week. And yeah, and just I, I the, think people forget that vision. Yes. I, I, I think most, maybe not most, a lot of people come to Bitcoin looking for, you know, the, the next penny stock that's going to hit a dollar or whatever. Yep. Um, so it's, it's difficult to break that mindset when you see these different exchanges that have, you know, the same, the same trading desk look as Yahoo finance or whatever. And you've got all these different fucking analytical tools for every shitcoin under the sun that was just pre-mined yesterday and dumped on the public today and it's like oh it could double next week 
You know, it's, it's the same shit. And that's what I told my dad when he first started like asking about cryptocurrencies generally. I'm like, it's it's like the stock market with a lot more manipulation and it trades 24 seven. It's like, if you could stomach that, be my guest, but I'm buying Bitcoin today and then tomorrow I'm buying Bitcoin and then next week I'm buying Bitcoin. And like he first started coming around when it was $60,000 as a lot of people did. They see those headlines. And I was like, like, as it kept coming down, he's like, oh, I might buy some. You get back to 3000. I'm like that. I was buying at 60 happily, gladly trading my dollars for it. I'm doing the same at 20. I did the same at 15. I'm doing the same now as we get back over 20. Like that's not the important part. The month, the month price movement is not why the fuck I'm here. Yeah. And that's how I was whenever I first got in. It was, I was trading it like it was a stock, you know, I was buying, selling that kind of shit. And then I kind of got out of it, especially whenever it crashed and then going back, um, whenever I got the Childerberg and kind of seeing and talking to people about it and that kind of thing, I realized it's, I mean, I knew of the, um, I guess theory of just holding it and just it being a fail safe for if or when the US dollar crashes. It's just, you know, it, instead of it being a physical thing like gold, it's it's Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And and kind of started thinking about it more like that where it's, it's just another asset to have and to diversify and not just have all my eggs in one basket. You know, it's not just USD. It's not just gold and silver or land or bullets and food and water. What else? It's It's just that little bit of extra safety net. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a really good way of looking at it. I think that's, yeah. I mean, it's it's good to see it. You know, at at your age, especially. I know you're younger than me. Um, just the the maturity of seeing the world that way is, you know, it, it's impressive. I mean, my dad's in his sixties and <laughs> he's still not looking at it that way. Well, you know, um, I guess I'm just a bit more autistic than others are. <laughs> All hail the autism. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, that's good. That, that's definitely good. I think there's a, there's definitely a lot to be said, too, for just not having been worn down by all the years of your money continually losing value and having to f- try to do something to, to make your money work for you, as has become oh, a yeah. common saying. Like, when you're younger and you're just like, shit, like, you're already seeing that it's starting to go bad and you're looking for answers initially rather than having 50 years of experiencing it and trying out different shit and just trying to make something work. When you're looking for that initial answer, you've got a lot more opportunity to find the right answer first than fall into a wrong answer and just get stuck in that rut for decades. Well, and it also just helps that I fell into this community at the right time. You know, I was kind of in a point in my life where it was just like, I was just an angry centrist. I didn't know what was going on. And then I'm I just met a dude in tech school and it was uphill from there, I suppose. It's not it wasn't definitely wasn't downhill, but uh because it, it's definitely made my life a lot better and and just realizing that I can separate myself at least a little bit from shit that's gonna go wrong. And it's not a a, a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of when and just to an extent of what and having that little bit of, of sovereignty is extremely important. Yeah. Agreed completely. I, I'm, I, I expect to be fine. a hopeful message to end on. And I'm glad that we did. So, um, 
So I think I am good to wrap there. Is there, if you're good or if there's anything else you wanted to say, or if you want to tell my 15 to 20 listeners where to find you. Um, you can find me mainly on Twitter. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram for whatever reason, it's what's my name, 58. Like I said, I don't post anything except for my stories and it's just schizo posts and a little bit of wholesome stuff and a little bit of news. If, if I deem it, you know, crazy enough, like I've been posting on my story about, you know, the TikTok ban and that kind of thing, just to kind of spread awareness to the less, um, informed people that, follow me on instagram which are mainly just high school buddies and shit and hopefully yeah hopefully i've reached people that way but um mainly i'm on twitter at voodoo boomstick hell yeah you coming out to childerberg again this year oh dude it's a two-hour drive of course i'm going oh man yeah i'm hoping to be expecting to be moved to indiana by then so ride down drive down with mike and it should be like uh 12 hour drive rather than a 24 hour drive. Yep. Man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I need it. Need it this year. Oh, it's such a relaxing thing. Like it just being around people that understand and you don't have to feel like to hold your tongue. Whenever you're talking to someone, you can just be yourself and, and talk and have even like open discussions and debates. You know, there was several times while we were at Childerberg where um, I talked to people I wouldn't normally talk to. It's mostly Bitcoin guys. It wasn't my thing, but you know, getting to know them and talk to them, even kind of just seeing their train of thought and working off that community and, and that shared knowledge and improving yourself with it. It's, yeah. And it's also nice to just relax and be around with people that think the same way. Yeah, for sure. And there, there's all different little camps at camp. You know, there's the people that are just going to chill back and smoke one. And there's the guys that are going to have a fucking political debate about who's the lizards and who's the fucking baby killers or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also interested to see how it works out this year with it being at a new campground. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, yeah, that'll be nice, uh, especially with us being able to do the venue, like the music venue and stuff on campsite. We don't have to go to another uh, place and do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I expect there's likely to be more rowdiness since there's no driving involved. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, it got a little it may- crazy at some points last year, but it was still relatively ta- relatively calm just because there was other people there and kind of were trying to respect them. So we'll, we'll yeah, see how and it it's, goes. it's so spread out, too, that even if it's like insane somewhere, you can go like a quarter mile away and you're still in camp, but there's people just laid back playing music and smoking and not yeah. not feeling all that wildness yep and then you got the gear guys like myself you know that's how i got into it was was yeah. through the second amendment and e-militia and all of them so oh, yeah. i'm more of a gear guy than necessarily and then I, as i'm getting my own land here recently um oh hell yeah yeah i'm currently trying to close and all that nice. um you know the permaculture guys and actually the phone call that it was they interrupted us was talking to my grandfather who is big into permaculture. So, Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. You've talked about him before. We'll have to, yeah. we'll have to have you back to talk about more of that for sure. Yeah. I've got a whole library of, of all his information that he's collected amazing. over the years. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's, it's always, always so cool. The rare opportunity I get to meet or even just hear about somebody older that's been doing this for decades. Oh, he had a, um, I won't get into it a whole hell of a lot, but he had a, a prison farm 
or not like not like a prison farm, but it was like a, a farm where former prisoners came and um kind of helped transition them back into uh, normal society and and oh, okay. a better work ethic and stuff like that. And it was all based off of permaculture. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, man. So. All right, we got even more hopeful. Yeah, let's close it there yep. before we get doomery. I know, right? <laughs> it's been great talking to you, though, as always. Yeah, man. Yeah, good to hear your voice uh, and talk back at it for once. Usually I'm hearing you on Mike's show, so it's it's been high yep. time that you get on here. So glad to do it. Uh, with that, we'll kill it for the night. Uh, All right. Appreciate you coming on. And if anybody's got any follow-up questions, Bitcoin basics, uh, get a hold of me on Instagram, Twitter, or wherever. All my links are always at lsc.adbd.tips. Bye.